Today we're talking about common mistakes that developers make that can ruin a game's potential with special guest iGothic to help you avoid the same issues. As always, my name's Bantek and I'll be your host for this journey. Let's travel beyond the blocks. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Blocks, the podcast all about the Roblox platform and game development. On this episode, we're discussing the topic of common mistakes that can limit a game's potential, such as a lower player count than you'd hoped for, or less revenue than you plan to make. To share some experience and some examples, we've got iGothic here to discuss it with me. Hey, um, well, I'm really glad to be in this podcast. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you. So before we jump into it, tell the listeners a little bit more about some of your background. No problem. So a lot of people here may not know who I am. Uh, it's totally cool. Uh, I'm the developer of Nuscup Sniping, Infinite Autocorrect, and One Shot Insanity. Those are probably my biggest projects. I'm really strong with scripting, but I'm I'm really bad at building. So yeah. So those games kind of fit into an interesting category, actually, because I sort of checked them out when I was doing a bit of research. And they're kind of comedy, aren't they? But a, a different sort of comedy than most of Roblox. Yeah. So Nuscup Sniping, One Shot Insanity... They're not intentionally comedic, but like uh, sometimes like physics and stuff gets gets there. But Infinite Autocorrect focuses on like more sarcastic and that type of humor rather than just like you know younger audience humor. No, they're very interesting games. So let's jump into the episode and describe exactly what we mean by fail, because obviously fail is quite scary. Some people are thinking, you know, my game's just going to end in a complete catastrophe or something. But obviously we don't necessarily mean that by the word fail. So what do we mean? So when I say a game could fail, uh, I just mean like, it just doesn't hold up to its potential. Many games can have like a really high player count or a longer play time uh, from all these players. But there's just these things that hold it back, just small things such as like optimization and just like not keeping up with stuff that just really affect uh, how it works, basically. Yeah, so there's some simple things that sort of every developer can do that can help make their game reach its full potential. Right. This applies to a developer of any sort. New developers suffer from it just as much as experienced developers. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to just briefly dive into a bunch of common mistakes that developers might make, which could lead to a limitation in play count or revenue. And when we say mistakes, it's not just, you know, placing a brick in the wrong place, things that can be easily fixed by a control Z or something. It's systematic mistakes like the wrong kind of marketing, a lack of planning, those types of things. So what are some of the mistakes that, uh, that you've seen around? All right. First thing I really want to discuss is probably a really huge problem is many developers or development studios will do quantity over quality where basically there would be a bunch of games by the developer but they won't update the games and then they'll just start making new games and one example i'd like to give is mad studio um i love mad studio they have some really fantastic games i like to play uh like mad paintball 2 and mad murderer uh, but issues with it is that I remember like when the game first released, I was excited. They'd make updates all the time. And then like within like a couple weeks, they just stop updating it and they say, well, we'll make another one soon, but then it would never actually happen. And 
that's that's not exactly a good thing. Um, many players um, love to see new parts of the game, and once a game stops giving what the players love, the players no longer love it. So that is a huge issue. Yeah, I think that's probably one that quite a few do, because sort of you build up this player base for that particular game, and if you create a new one, even if it's part of a series, you kind of got to build up that player base again. And as you say, you're kind of neglecting the players who've who've played it. And also, even if you do keep creating new ones, I suppose there's that really long lead time of making a new game. Unless it's literally just a copy with a few changes, there's going to be a, a massive gap between the last update on the old game and the new one releasing. Exactly. So yeah, you always want to do your best to keep your play account. Now, when you update, one update that should be taken more seriously is optimization and fixes. Um, I know some of the big games, uh, most popular games, oftentimes when they're updated, it's just optimization or fixes, like almost every single day. Great example of this would be Phantom Forces. Every time I get in there, they always say like fixing like small bugs that you probably wouldn't have found most of the time. But when people think of memory, they just think of like just the RAM and like the specs of the computer, which is technically true, but a lot of people don't think about it in the right way. Uh, the way I like to think about it is comparing it to a bank, right? The bank would be the server of the game, right? What the players are in. And all the members of the bank would be the players. And the currency in this case would be the money, all right? Every player has more or less money depending on how we wealthy they are. So some players may have like a million dollars. Some players may have like 10 bucks. Um, so in this metaphor, that means some people have a lot of memory. Some people don't. But no matter what, everyone will have some memory. Uh, but charging too much memory on the server will cause people to go bankrupt, which by that, I just mean like freezing or lagging the game. Same applies to the server. If the server loses all of its memory or its money, everyone goes bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy, I think. Uh, yeah, optimization is, is definitely one of those things that you've got to keep on top of, and it's quite easy when you're designing the game to accidentally miss a few bits, or through expansions and things, It's sometimes you lose a bit of optimization, so going back and uh, just sort of reviewing everything, optimizing stuff can really help a lot of players, especially mobile and console players. Absolutely, it's very important. I cannot stress how, much, how important it is to optimize stuff. It took me years to learn this, but... Nowadays, I realize optimization is very important, but that shouldn't be the only update, right? A lot of developers, because Studio is only on PC, they'll make games PC exclusive. The problem with that is that Xbox and mobile has a larger player base than PC because most people don't have a PC. It's just one of those really expensive things. Um, so if once your game has like a player account at least of like 10 people you should probably consider making xbox or mobile support and i would say it's not that difficult just change like a few things in your code and i'd say mobile support would be a little easier and be it'd probably be better to start off with and the more players you have the more support you can have for all those devices and it really does make a huge difference an example i can give would be no scope sniping it was my first popular game and it made me really happy but when i went to the developer stats uh the only reason it was really popular was because of xbox players there were only about 80 pc players and there are 4800 console players so it's definitely a difference 
I've definitely fallen into the trap of designing for PC first. As you say, it's so easy because Studio's on PC, you're testing on PC, and for me, I don't play Roblox on my phone, I don't have a console. So for me, PC is, is sort of the first thing I think of, and it's very easy to design a UI for a mouse, because um, you can put buttons anywhere, you can make them quite small and people can still click them. When you then have to start thinking about mobile, you need bigger buttons, suddenly you've got less space, you know, you've got the thumbsticks for people to control with. It's very difficult to think of, first of all, without having a mobile device in your hand. But I think, yeah, it's probably easier if you design it in from the start, if you have that in your mind, particularly with the Xbox side. Because as you say, mobile's not too bad. You're just changing maybe some button sizes, maybe some layout, that kind of thing. Xbox, though, can be a massive pain if a UI is a huge part of your game. And I've experienced this recently as well, firsthand on one of our games, Sefer County Railway. It wasn't Xbox compatible. We've had to make it Xbox compatible to obviously open up to that wide audience. And like the game is just full of GUIs everywhere. Um, there's just buttons all over the place. And on mobile, you can kind of get through it. It's fine. But Xbox, we had to create our own sort of selection system to make it select the different buttons because the default one just couldn't cope. And without completely redesigning the GUI, we just had to sort of build another layer on top of it. And now... If you wanted to make changes, it's kind of a bit more complicated than it probably should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it definitely can be hard, but it's one of those things where the like work pays off. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, we've already seen the amount of people who are playing on both mobile and Xbox, uh, as you say, can easily rival the PC users. And in many cases, you get more on those two devices combined. Uh, actually. If you were to, Xbox alone will probably have a higher player base than PC, uh, just due to the fact of, because there's less games that support Xbox, so you have a higher chance of being discovered on there. That's, that's true, actually, yeah. Just make a really good game and have solid Xbox support, and you'll find a lot of players. And basic stuff will still support Xbox, even like the classic sword from Roblox will support it because tool activation is universal tap is to use the tool uh for pc would be click and xbox is always the right trigger so sometimes there's natural support for it yeah that's, that's it i think you just got to have a good kind of code base to start with if you're scripting things and just have that in mind from the start and just make sure that everything's very generic very universal because i think that the time where it gets tricky is when you've made keyboard specific actions and mouse specific actions and um, that's where it sort of gets a little bit harder to port to xbox if you've got a lot of layers of those going on um if you just stick with kind of as you say the default activation stuff make very simple uis if you've got them that follow a logical order then you shouldn't be too uh, it shouldn't be too difficult for you Right, um, but those would be the update-related things. Uh, these can be fixed almost at any time. Sometimes you have to work more than other times, but all of these can be fixed. Let's go ahead and jump into the next category of mistakes, then. All right, here's what else people do is not starting the game correctly uh when you start a game that's your biggest weapon against the other games basically you want to start your game off strong because if you just release like a base plate and then you slowly update it over time you're less likely to gain a uh, player count so 
what you want is a good base to start with. Um, one thing I see sometimes is that someone will start with a specific theme or a style to the game, but over time, it things in the game won't exactly match up with that theme or style. Um, I notice many cartoony games will be untextured, except for like a few parts where there'll be like materials and realistic-looking items that don't fit in. Or the other way around, where there's a realistic game on Roblox, but there's out of nowhere a cartoony or just something doesn't fit in. And that should definitely not happen. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that on some games before as well. It's, sometimes it's, it's quite easy to fall into that trap, though, as Roblox is getting better and better and it's easier to make more realistic-looking things. Sometimes you can find if you don't update some old parts of your map, you can accidentally drift into that realism side. Absolutely. And it applies to like any game anywhere. Like if you were to play like an Xbox game and sometimes games will kind of stray from their style and go to somewhere else. And that's a lot of players are there for that specific style, not for the other style. Yeah, well, I suppose if you built a whole player base based on what the game was, if you suddenly change it or, as you say, have it end up with a, a sort of a mix match of old and new style, that's both confusing to new players and to old players. Yeah, and it's very tempting to do otherwise, though. A lot of new developers, when they notice, like when they find out how to do things, I remember when I used to find out how to do like realistic stuff, I just put all this realistic stuff in a cartoony game. And that wouldn't work. And yeah, so I bet you you wouldn't want to play a game that was all ragdoll and cutesy and stuff. And then out of nowhere, see uh, a Winter Soldier just coming up ragdolling down a hill. That would not be good sight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it it reminds me of sort of the new plays will sometimes do with like free models where you just drag in a bunch of free models that don't line up with one another. Mm -hmm. um, you get a whole mix match of styles. It's that kind of feel that you end up with. So yeah, don't do free models, kids. <laughs> You're not going to get something good out of that. Um, but yeah, but when you have a theme... Each theme will have a target audience, and that's probably what would be the next important thing, is you should have a very clear target audience, right? It is the game targeted toward older players, younger players, or just the general audience. The best third-party example I can give of this would be Fortnite, because a lot of people know what that is due to the fact that it's a general audience thing. Kids love it because of the cartoony approach and all the weird styles to it, and the older players like it due to the competitive side. Other games, such as like Counter-Strike, is oriented towards older players due to the fact that it has more of that grungy style, and it's more competitive-based. And then, meanwhile, you have like younger audience games such as Overcooked and those LEGO games, because they're much easier to understand. So, apply that knowledge to your game, and you probably will have a very easy target audience. Yeah, as you say, I think it's important to have that clear from the start when you're designing and building the game. Um, and I think it's it's probably quite difficult. I've um, found this before as well. If you're not building the game for your own age range and your own demographic, that can sometimes be difficult if you don't necessarily know what to do. But as you sort of listed there, there's loads of examples of different games that you can learn from. But I think, is, as you say, it's really important to have it clear because when it comes to advertising and marketing and that sort of thing, uh, if you're trying to appeal to, I don't know, maybe as young as like eight years old and you're there only using Twitter to market, like it's, it's not really going to work. 
so I think it's it's important to have that in place from the start and know what you're aiming for. Absolutely. And you brought up that Twitter, and that's actually a, a pretty valid point. Um, a lot of games will include Discord servers, and I'll cover this in detail in a minute, but Discord servers, they're full of people of at least 12 or 13 years old, because Discord won't allow you to sign up unless you're 13. And Roblox won't allow you to click any social Discord buttons unless that uh, player is at least 13 years old. Yeah, exactly. Now, all target audiences have something in common. Um, Everyone wants a catchy thumbnail or icon. If you're scrolling through any game page, and not just Roblox again, like if you're going through Steam and you're trying to look for a new game, you want to look for a game that has a very catchy icon, something that's basically like eye candy. And I just learned this like two months ago. This is a very recent thing for me to learn, is never just do a picture with a white background or just a picture with a solid color background because it's not appealing at all. It looks, it may look cool, but it's not eye-catchy. Something as easy as just putting like a gradient behind a logo, that's more catchy than a solid color behind a logo. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, you can sort of trial and error with it as well, can't you? Trial different thumbnails, see what works. Um, but as you say, yeah, you want to include quite a bit of colour in your thumbnail as well. Even even those games that are aimed at older audiences, it's quite easy to accidentally fall into sort of a monochromatic colour scheme, make everything quite boring, always put like black or, or white overlays on things. Whereas I think if you make it a little bit colourful, it's, uh, it's a lot more attractive. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ties into the style of the game too. If you have some sort of like horror game, you could stick more of the monochromatic uh, colors, but you could still include some more dark colors and very washed out, non-vibrant colors. And those work just as much. Um, if you ever, what was that horror game called? Eyes? Where is that fall? There's that head basically that followed you around. Mm. I think it was on like the Play Store. Yeah, it was like Eyes the horror game, and the icon was very simple. It was white and black, but the only color in it was the dark red to represent the blood in the game. And as simple as it sounds, it works. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about leveraging the color to your advantage. What other kind of mistakes then do we have? Now that you like know how to update and stuff, you may be a little excited to get these updates in. But updates always have to be passed out sparingly. And you want to avoid shutdowns when possible. Um, some games will have way too many shutdowns and that chases players away because a majority of players, when a game shuts down, they think it's shut down for a while and they won't go back in. Now, most players will go back in, but a good chunk will leave every time you have a shutdown. So every time you shut down the game for an update, you you risk losing a huge player count. Yeah, definitely. I mean, have you seen, um, I can't remember who created it, it might have been Merely, um, but sort of a soft shutdown script. We implemented that recently on Stepford County Railway, and basically uh, when you shut down, it sort of moves everyone into a temporary lobby, um, lets the server shut down, and then moves them back into the game again, all using the teleport service. Um, and that's a good one for when you do have to shut down. It will uh, help retain some of your players. 
Um, but as you say, you want to use it sparingly. Like you don't want to be shutting down for an update. Oh no, I made a mistake. Let's fix that. Shut down again. Oh, I want to add this extra thing that I forgot. Shut down again. Like that will just drive players away. You want to you want to have it ready, tested, ready to go. One shutdown. Use this soft shutdown scripts so you don't lose players, uh, and then everyone will be happy with the new update. Yeah, I think I should start using that soft shutdown because I'm going to be honest. I still do shutdowns. And it's not exactly a smart thing. Take advantage of soft shutdown, like uh, Bantech suggested. It's very, very handy. Now, jumping from that, it's a bit of a sharp transition here, but I want to talk about how some games will have little to no depth at all. Basically, uh, you have a game, you have, let's say you have a a cool gun system, right? And you just want to release it, you want to have people play it. Uh, a good example of this would be Red River Systems, right? And right now, it's just a gun system. But while they are hyping up some players for the full game, uh, the problem with it is that there's little to no depth because there's no there's no multiplayer, there's no progress, right? So all players should have a sense of progression and a sense of achievement in the game. Make badges, arsenal, one of the, my favorite games on Roblox has a ton of badges, like a badge for pretty much everything you can think of. And that is one of the biggest things that keep mostly Xbox and PC players in. Um, I don't think mobile players seem to notice badges as much, but Xbox and PC, they definitely notice the badges. Just make sure there's a sense of progression, leveling up, XP, crate system, whatever you can think of. It's Use your imagination. <laughs> I think um, sort of the campaign mode is a really nice way of creating progression. I think it's probably underestimated quite a bit, but a good campaign mode, if your game sort of your game genre supports it, um, is a really good way of keeping people to come back. Um, sort of obviously badges are great. You don't want to just have random badges here and there that the player doesn't know how to collect them. You want to have badges that are, as you say, for specific progression for specific levels, um, sort of throughout the campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, something to keep in mind when you're creating a campaign game or just like a version of it, uh, make sure you either take a linear approach or an open world approach. Now, campaign should be a bit more linear. So by that, I mean, it should be very clear what your objectives are. It should be very clear that when you do this, this will happen, right? And a biggest third party game I would know makes this mistake would be Red Dead Redemption 2. Very good game. Problem is, is they try to make some parts linear, some parts open world. What I mean by that is Rockstar Games, who made Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2, GTA, all of that. Their games oftentimes will have an objective for you to do. And with the open world, it would seem like you can use all of these methods to try and, you know, go hunt someone or get the bounty or something. But then that's when the game decides to take a linear approach, and if you don't do it the specific way the game does it, then it will fail you, which is not good. You always have to take either a linear approach or the open world approach. Either one works. Mm-hmm. And sort of linked to progression and story modes and that sort of thing is often the debate around um, sort of pay to play versus things being free to play, paying to unlock certain things, you know, whether players should have to pay to be able to progress uh, quicker than other players or those sorts of things. So I think onto the topic of uh, donations, game passes, that kind of thing. 
uh, what are some of the mistakes that you see developers make with those? Yeah, this this would be probably one of the more common, very common things that I see. Most players don't even have any Robux, but the players that do oftentimes will spend it almost immediately, and they're going to look for cheaper things to get, so a lot of times players would like to buy quantity over the quality, no matter what. This usually applies to the younger audience. Older audiences know how to spend better, but they don't pay a lot no matter what. A lot of players don't want to pay a lot of Robux or something. Great example of this would be the initial Despacito game. If anyone remembers that, it was a really funny meme, and I think I spent a total of 4,000 Robux on there, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. I'm not proud of it, but um, it's, it's a good meme game, but everything you do in it has to have Robux spent on it. It's just a huge cash grab. And I realized that from the start, and it was kind of fun to do it, but like a lot of players aren't as fortunate as me to have that kind of resources to spend. But there's sometimes not... A lot of it was cheap stuff that kept me spending, and that's how I spent a lot of it. But not all games have a bunch of cheap stuff to do pay-to-play. Great example of this would be knife ability testing. I think the developer's name is Furaza. I don't know. But um, there, the game passes in knife ability testing, also known as CAT, a lot of the game passes will cost as much as 9,000 Robux, Oof. which is as much as a very rare item in Roblox. You should keep it around 10 to 150 Robux for a game pass, depending how much there is to offer. You should definitely think about kind of the premium tiers or the Builders Club tiers how much people actually earn if they're on those. And as you say, it does kind of link back to that making sure that your game appeals to a wide audience, making sure that you can get people from all these devices uh, and things like that. As you say, when it comes to spending money in the game, loads of players just don't have the money to spend. So you just instantly cut out a huge chunk of your audience if you put a massive paywall in the way. Um, so I think, as you say, if, you, if you're trying to maximize that player count, You've got to think about that. Absolutely. When you have a pay-to-play game, if you have very cheap uh, developer products or game passes that require you to progress, as long as the game is free and they're very cheap, you can get away with that. But you will lose players no matter what. Yeah, I, I try with my games to always make sure that even if it is that... I mean, obviously, you do have to earn money from your game, particularly if it's your full-time job or even if it's just a side hustle that you spend a significant amount of time on you do want some reward for that so as you say sometimes you do put in those sort of those cheap products and things um but i try to make in my games there's always a free path through so if you are willing to put in just a little bit of extra effort there is always a free path through so it's never a solid wall in your way that you have to pay through absolutely that does not exactly mean that you should make no tier premium or VIP or something. Um, an example would be my game, Infinite Autocorrect. You want to have a lot to offer for those who do want to spend money on the game, who want to invest in your projects. So with a Game Pass especially, you, you want to make sure that while it is cheap, it should offer a lot more for the player to have. That doesn't mean free players shouldn't have a lot to have, but there should be much more to offer for players who choose to pay. Um, so in Infinite Autocrack, there's a private island to hang out at. Um, there's Everything's cheaper in the game. 
you can customize your cupola much more and I'm, I keep planning to add more stuff with that, but I still keep up with the free part of the game. Yeah, exactly. So it's all about maintaining that balance of the cost of the products and how big the advantage is over other players. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you don't provide too much of an advantage. Uh, this mostly applies to competitive games such as shooters. Don't make weapons that are super powerful and are only available by buying them because that is a very, very big mistake. Uh, even games... Uh, I'm trying to think of other third-party examples. Games like Warface or GTA, uh, they'll provide weapons that only cost... Like, they'll cost money in real life, but uh, many players won't buy them, and the players that do buy them have a huge advantage over the other players. Okay, so let's move on to the last few mistakes that we can think of then. Alright, not all mistakes involve players directly. Sometimes developers will overestimate themselves or underestimate themselves. But a lot of new developers, when they find out like new things that they can do, uh, like sometimes people just go scrolling through the API and think something's cool. They'll try to apply it for their game, but they don't exactly know how that works, and it can kind of ruin the game. So make sure you know what something does. Don't make a camera bobbing script that does nothing but drops the frame rate. That's not a good thing. Um, and I'm not trying to sound like condescending like that. I'm just saying you have to know what something does before you can implement it. But it's okay to try new stuff. Always experiment. Um, try as much new stuff as you can that is the best way to learn any programming language or game engine ever, especially Roblox. Just make sure you test something before you release it. Don't make stuff without knowing what it does and then release it and then players having to be like, what is this supposed to do? It is easy to get too excited with some of the updates. I mean, the past year for Roblox, I think, has been really good with all the lighting updates and viewport frames, that sort of thing. Yeah. As you say, you just don't want to end up with the, kind of this mishmash showcase of you just throwing all these new APIs at everything. Everything should still have a purpose and it should add to your game rather than, you know, being a distraction. Mm-hmm. And like this, this applies to both building and scripting and it applies to marketing as well. All of what uh, was mentioned today should be practiced and should be taken account over time. It shouldn't be implemented immediately if it's if you don't know how to do it. So uh, if you just learn scripting and you try to make a script but it doesn't work, try to find out why it doesn't work rather than just ignoring it and trying to make something else. And that's how you learn it. That's a really good way to learn it. But if you would like to learn how to get all this stuff, there's some really good resources. Um, go to the Roblox Developer Hub. That's a good place to start. But if you're a new developer but still slightly experienced, go to the Dev Forum. Um, it's a really great spot. Developers will provide all sorts of resources that are free to use. They're like free models, but actually good. <laughs> They're quality. Now, I'm going to say some stuff from the free model section is good. Um, that's how I learned to do camera bobbing. Uh, if you could search up view bobbing in the toolbox and there actually is a proper script in there that works mostly. Um, but that's how I learned that. And that's, that's valid. You can get stuff from the toolbox, experiment with it, mess with it, and make it your own. 
that's also a good way to learn. But some of you who are listening to this podcast already know this podcast is a pretty great source. Uh, I I already learned some stuff from this. I'm going to be honest. Uh, don't be shy. Listen to like a 10 to 20 minutes in a podcast. It's it's You can do it in your free time. It's it's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about using all those resources. You're always going to learn new stuff. I'm still learning things. I go on the dev forum and see a post about something I'd never even thought of and learn something new from that. So even if you've not necessarily got a problem that you're going in with, Sometimes just browsing through, listening to things, uh, as you say, like podcasts, looking at videos, those sorts of things. You're not necessarily trying to find a solution, but sometimes you might be introduced to something that you didn't even know existed. And then obviously you can jump back to your game and perhaps release some of those updates to keep your players interested using some of those new features if they fit in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's all from us this episode, so if you enjoyed it, please subscribe or follow the podcast to make sure you don't miss any of our future instalments. Special thanks to our guest today, iGothic, for joining me and putting aside some time to chat to us. And Beyond the Box is brought to you by Bantech Systems, a development studio creating interactive game systems and solutions on Roblox. Find Bantech's profile on Roblox and click through to the Bantech Systems group for more information. Don't forget you can listen to any episode of Beyond the Blocks on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many other popular listening platforms. You'll also find it on the Bantech Systems YouTube channel. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Beyond the Blocks. Beyond the Blocks.